The man leaves his father and mother. He strikes out on his own. He is no longer under his parents' authority. He is united with his wife. They get married. And then they become one in flesh. Now, this means sex. So, this is right at the very start of the Bible. So now let's have a look at somewhere in the New Testament. So could we have 1 Corinthians, oh sorry, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20 on the screen. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were brought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. This passage is talking about how we often think we have the right to do whatever we want. That I can do whatever I want and it won't affect me. But that's just not the case. Our bodies are meant to honour God. If we are Christians, we believe that God raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the grave and that our lives have been brought by him when he died for all of our sins. Our lives and therefore our bodies are linked directly to Christ. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit and therefore we should treat them as such. We should honour God with our bodies. So to answer the question, God's law says it is sex is reserved for marriage. Now people have told me that God's law is God's law and that's the end of it. And I agree that God's law does not need to justify itself to us. But God in his grace sometimes helps us to understand his law. Each of his laws have a purpose and they are there to actually make our lives better. Not to make our lives less fun, but to make our lives better. Now sex is an absolutely really powerful experience. It makes us feel wanted and loved. The thought of a person being interested in me and finding me attractive is very powerful. Sex can easily cloud our judgments and provide us with a reason to stay in a relationship that we know just isn't right for us. By waiting, you can more clearly figure out a relationship. You can actually see where the holes and the flaws are in a relationship and actually work on those and then figure out if this person is right for you for the long haul rather than just judging it on the physical. So let's have a look at what makes marriage so special. In Genesis, which was a passage that Liz wrote, read, not wrote, <laughs> dear me, um, verses 20 to 24 is where it talks about the first marriage, as it were. You know, Adam needed a helper. God could see that none of the animals fitted with what he needed. So he created Eve from his body so they would be, you know, from the same species, as it were. And Adam recognized that and said, this is bone for my bone, flesh for my flesh. This is my partner. 
and then they, you know, they can't, you know, it says that from now on, a man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. There will be a separation from that side of the family to creating a new family. This is God's idea of marriage, the perfect marriage, as it were. A man and woman will come together, united to be as one. You know, they, they're all, you know, they are to be individual, though, but together, if you know what I mean. You know, they are one person as an individual, but at the same time, they then cleave to each other and become as one. You know, I say to my husband that he is my co-creator, as it were, because we have created a family. We created it by being married. We've had children. We created our memories of our family. We have, you know, we are created by God, and then we create also our families. And that's really exciting that we can become co-creators in that and create from what God has created. That sounds a bit complicated when I say it out loud, actually, but it makes sense, I'm sure. There are some elements of a marriage that create balance. And if the marriage has all these elements, then it should be a very well-rounded, balanced, perfect marriage. And they are commitment and loyalty, love, friendship, and sex. And when all these elements come together, they can work in harmony. Because you are loyal and committed to someone, you then have friendship, you have love, and then you also have sex. Now, in a marriage, the romantic love does fade. It comes back and goes again. It's a bit like that. But the loyalty and commitment that you made to that person makes you feel secure. And the friendship that you've built with one another sustains it. Because, you know, you might not feel in love, but you still love spending time with that person. You still want to be with them because they're good fun, that you enjoy their company, you like to do things together. And then also, that's when sex comes in, because sex is such an important part of marriage. Is it brings excitement, you know, it brings um, a bit of play. And it's, you know, and it also a lot of pleasure, you know. And it's what kind of keeps that kind of romance alive, you know. And it's funny because, you know, me and my husband have been married for nearly eight years and we've got three children, you know. Sex is quite hard to come by, if I'm honest, without someone knocking on the door or, you know, they've woken up. But, and it, and, you know, but it is important because you can just feel like you're on a, a rotor that just keeps going round and round and round and round. Get up, feed the children, go to work, come home, feed the children, go to bed, you know. And it's that kind of part that you can play and be experimental with. And it's, it's fun, it's exciting, and it's, it's what God intended. And it's also there to protect us. Sex is there to protect us. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 4 to 5, it says, you know, for this wife does not have authority and control over her own body, but the husband. Likewise, also the husband does not have authority and control over his body, but the wife. Do not refuse and deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves unhindered to prayer. 
but afterwards resume marital relations, i.e. sex, lest Satan tempt you through your lack of restraint of sexual desire. You see, we have sex with our partner, a husband, a wife, so that we don't want to have sex with other people, basically. <laughs> it's, you know, that's the idea. It says, you know, keep having sex because else you're going to want to have sex with someone else because you need it. <laughs> and, um, you know, and that's what, but what is important, as John said, is that God makes it clear that this is supposed to be within marriage because it keeps us safe and secure. You know, it's our best friend, our co-creator that we're having sex with. It's not just somebody off the street or it's not somebody that you kind of know kind of well. You know, this is quite an intimate thing, you know, and it can get quite, as John said, it can get complicated and you can get hurt quite quickly. So this next scripture is taken from Ephesians and quite frankly, it has been used quite a lot out of context. Um, so Ephesians 5, 21 to 28, please. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Lucy, you keep the first bit on the screen for me. Now, this is a very interesting passage. It's split into two halves, as we can all see. Notice the first half is speaking directly to women, and the second half is speaking directly to men. The first half does not read, men, make sure your wife obeys you. And the second half does not read, wives, ensure that your husband will die for you. These are two distinct sentences and are exclusive for each sex. So Sarah is going to have a talk about the first bit, and then I shall lead off on the second. Yeah, submit to your wives, submit to your husbands. It's uh, a difficult one, this, as the idea of submitting to someone, especially a woman to a man in this social climate, could be seen as derogatory. But it doesn't mean submit as in mindlessly follow everything that he says and he says everything and you say nothing and just do what he says and you know it does not mean that you know as as women we like to boss people around you know we we have this tendency to desire control we do i know i do i have a bit of a control freak you know we like to boss boys around you can see it in little girls you know don't do that sit there have that you know boys are just like you know and we like to make men run around after us like headless chickens we do. We love it. It's nice. We think it makes us feel secure. But actually, in matter of fact, it's the curse that we have inherited from the fall as women. We desire to control over man. That is it. 
the drive to control man is our curse that we have to bear. And it can be harmful to us as well as to men. It's very harmful to men as well. And so we have to submit. You know, by submitting to our husbands, we are saying, we trust you. You know, we are expecting you to be our strong man, our provider, our supporter. And that does not mean that we are weak. If anything, it takes a lot of self-control. It means that we are kind of submitting that part of ourselves, you know, saying, you know, this is our offering to you. And men need to feel that. Men need to feel that their woman believes in them and submits to them in that way. And if we don't submit, then it doesn't give a man a chance to stand up and be a man. If we control them like children and do everything that they are, you know, everything that they need, we do, we do it all the time, just sit there, we do it. It's not giving him chance to stand up and be a man. It's not giving him a chance to stand up and provide for his family and to take responsibility and to step into those responsibilities. Because whether we like it or not, women, men are the spiritual heads of the household. It does not mean we have no value, and it does not mean that we have, don't stand up and have a right to say what we do, and God will use us as powerful women. But they are the spiritual head of the household. And if we don't give them space to stand up and be that, we are going to end up with a weak husband. And that is not a nice position to be in. To have a weak husband and you have to stand up and do everything and pull the weight, you will soon feel insecure and vulnerable because it's not the way it's designed to be. You know, I see it in, you know, I've I've seen it in the past, weak men following strong women and they never satisfy these women. They always feel disappointed with their husbands and always feel a bit of grudge, like why doesn't he just think for himself? Why doesn't he just do it? And it's like, well, you're taking over everything, and he's not sure what to do. He wants to make you happy, but you are always taking control of everything and not giving him the chance to stand up and be a man. And, um, you know, I submit to my husband in lots of ways. One of the biggest ways I try, because it is hard, we're women, we like to moan and bitch. And so I try really hard not to bitch about my husband's people and say just positive, uplifting things about him. I want him to have a good reputation. I want my husband to have a really strong reputation where people go, wow, that's Sarah's husband, because that's what reflects on me. And also, he likes, you know, he likes to fix stuff. So I let him. I could easily fix it myself. I have a background in forestry, so I can use chainsaws and stuff. I could easily put a picture on the wall, but I don't because it makes him feel good and I want him to feel good and it makes him feel strong and like he's providing and he's, you know, he's taking on his responsibilities and his role as the dad, as the husband in the household. And I let that. I mean, quite often he asks me to help him and that's fine, but that's a partnership. But submission is okay because my husband loves me with the sacrificial love, you know. His first thought is, is my family provided for? You know, is my wife happy? That's his biggest thing that he always drives for and it shows with the way he treats the children and everything. If the children speak badly to me, he does not like it. 
he steps in. Don't speak to your mother like that. You respect your mother. You know, he is there for me. You know, he goes around with this saying, happy wife, happy life. John. <laughs> not sure if I should take it personally. You're pointing at me when you said, like, terrible husband. <laughs> wow. Have you been talking to my wife? Maybe. <laughs> I'll keep, I'll keep out of that. <laughs> Probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So, men, we are called by God to love our wives as Christ loves the church. Christ gave up everything for the church. He endured pain, humiliation, and even death. This is what we are called to do. Our first priorities should always be our wives. All our decisions should take into consideration our wives. You always see it, and it's mocked in the media, about, oh, he's so whipped, he's got to go check with his wife before he's allowed to come down the road and go to the pub. It's like, no, I don't care about going out with my mates. I want to make sure my wife has had a good day, that she's happy and content and doesn't need me to do anything. And if she is, and I don't feel like having a night in, then I'll go out. And that's not weakness, that's serving my wife. Yeah, it's respect. So, we should always be there to support our wives, to comfort them, to try and make their lives easier in every way. So, I've had a bad day, and I just want to go home, grab a pint, and sit and watch the game on TV. Tough. Absolutely tough. We are called to put aside our own feelings and support our wives. This is not easy. This is not something I claim to do well, but it's what we are called by God to do. This is what makes a marriage so special. It is a partnership between a man and a woman coming together, both willing to sacrifice their own desires, putting aside what they want to feel like, well, sorry, put aside their own feelings and their own desires for what is best for their partner. It doesn't work if, like, if I'm constantly sacrificing everything I want to do for Dawn, that doesn't work, because I just get trodden all over. And it, likewise, if Dawn's constantly sacrificing everything to support me, that doesn't work. It talks in the Bible about being equally yoked. You should both be absolutely committed to giving up what you want to do for the benefit of your partner. And when you're both in that situation, it works, because you're just pulling together in the same direction. This is not simple, this is not easy, but it's what we're called to do. So, Joe, what three things do I need to make a fire? Uh, yeah. Fuel, yep. heat, and oxygen. Yeah. Fuel, oxygen, and heat. This is referred to as a fire triangle. Everybody familiar with this? Probably not. If you take away any one aspect of that, the fire goes out. If I remove the oxygen, the fire suffocates. If I remove the fuel, there's nothing left to burn, and the fire goes out. And if I take away the heat by cooling the area of water, the fire goes out. In the same way, there are three main parts to a successful marriage. Friendship. My wife Dawn is my best friend. Now, I know this sounds incredibly soppy and cliche, but it's true. I am not a particularly... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Introvert, extrovert? Extroverted person. I really don't like people very much, sorry. 
But the only person, the only exception to that is my wife. When I've had a really bad day and I don't want to see anybody, she is the exception. She's the first person I want to see in the morning and the last person I want to see at night. Second, we have commitment. I am fully committed to my wife. I want to do what is best for her. I always, I'm always happy to sacrifice my comfort to ensure that she is happy and safe. I've made a decision to join my life with hers, and I am certain of the fact that I always want to be with her in my life. Desire. This is a third aspect for marriage. I really should have probably put it on the screen as well, but just go with me. So, my wife is who I fantasize about. The person I can't stop myself from longing for. The person my whole body cries out to touch. These three elements are what make a marriage so special. Without the friendship, our relationship would just be two people committed to having sex with each other, and it would soon become unhealthy and break down. Without commitment, there'd be no loyalty to stay with each other, and we'd soon drift apart. But without desire for each other, it would not be long until we looked elsewhere for somebody else to be intimate with. Earlier, Sarah outlined God's ideal perfect marriage and what it looks like. The media tells us that sex within marriage is boring, that the only good sex is to be found when a relationship is young, that it's soon forgotten about, and that's a lie. What could be better than at the end of a day, going back to the woman you love, to someone you know as well as yourself, who is your best friend, who is fully committed to you and you to them, someone you can be fully open with, completely exposed with, and feel safe. Safe to express yourself completely. Now, sex in this situation is what God had planned for us. And sex outside of this situation is just a pale imitation of what it should be. Now I've got uh, the difficult one. Um, sex outside of marriage. The temptations. Now, I can talk on this because I've done this a lot. Hence why I ended up getting pregnant. <laughs> I was 19. Um, the biggest question that we face as young Christians, and I'm saying young and including myself and such, because I can, because I'm at the front, I have a microphone. It's all right, I still think of myself as young. Yeah, I still think I'm 21. Yep, same. And the question is, how far can we go before it's sex? You know, where's the boundary? Can we push it? Is it oral sex? Is it fondling? Hands up the top, hands down the pants? What is it? That's what we always ask as young Christians. How far can we go? What's technically sex? And that gets you into trouble <laughs> in lots of ways. And I want to challenge us on that. What's the motivation? Is it how far can we go? Or is it... How holy can I be? You know, that's the question, isn't it? You know, are we there to push boundaries as far as we can so that we can be like everybody else? Or are we trying to have a relationship with God? Because God sees through it whatever. Whatever. Even if your mum and dad don't know and your friends don't know, God knows. And that's the, the hard truth of it, really. And um, 
You know, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because it can end up being a bit like a game. You know, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to put much effort in. I don't want to make the difficult decisions because that's really hard. I want to just be able to kind of do what I want a bit, but I still like love Jesus, but I want to kind of do what I want, but I still love Jesus, but I kind of want to do what I want, but I still love Jesus. That is the kind of the game that we can play. And it's, it's difficult because it is difficult and we will have to make a choice and we will be different. That's the end of it. Everybody around us is having sex willy-nilly and it's our freedom and our right and our choice, but it's not really a freedom and a right and a choice. It's a bit of a con that you remember everybody you've slept with for the rest of your life, even if you've been with the person that you're married to and you don't want to think about it, it just pops in. And that's it for, for life, unfortunately. I mean, I'm not saying it's... It's just a bit of a warning, I think, in that sense. But following Jesus is not about following the rules. It's about the relationship. You know, do you want to have a relationship with God? And if so, we have to be as holy as we can. And if we're in a relationship and we want to keep ourselves holy, then we need to protect ourselves. And that includes talking to the person that you want to have a relationship with or in a relationship and saying, you know, where do you think this is going? You know, do you, are you looking to follow God or are they a Christian or not or what? Because you need to get a basis. What's going on here? Because if you just go along with it and not discuss it, then you're going to end up maybe somewhere where you don't want to go. You think, you know, that's the, that's the thing you've got to check. And if you're both trying to have a relationship with God, then you need to make sure that the relationship doesn't get in the way of that, that you try and keep it holy. And the best way to do that, if that was what you wanted, then it's to be accountable to somebody. You need to be accountable to somebody who you trust, who, um, you know, has been through life, who knows these challenges, so that they can help you prevent taking it too far. And also, the trust bit comes in, because sometimes you do go too far, and you still need someone you can go to and say, went a bit too far, feeling a bit crap about it. And they go, okay, well, let's talk about it. Where did it go wrong? Let's have a prayer about it. Let's wipe the slate clean. So the topic that people voted for last week had three sections. Sex, marriage, and is it too late? Now, I went and actually asked Lucy whether, what was the original question for this one? Because it was a bit oddly worded. And it was actually um, what she had written, because it was one of the topics that had been brought up in our planning session, talking about sex. And the too late was referring to People who have had sex already and are not married. Is it too late? I've had it once. Shall I just carry on then? I've already broken that rule. I might as well carry on. No. Sorry. No. Jesus is very clear. Whenever he encounters sin of any type, any type at all, he tells the person to stop and sin no more. In fact, is that not exactly what he told the woman who was caught in adultery, that was brought to her to him by the Pharisees. He tells her to stop and go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven, sin no more. But what I find really interesting is Jesus' attitude to those that have sinned. 
He was happy to be seen eating and drinking with tax collectors and prostitutes, people that were completely and utterly social outcasts and pariahs. Nobody wanted to be seen with a prostitute. Nobody wanted to be seen with a tax collector. They were just completely shunned. But when questioned by the Pharisees why he was eating and drinking with these people, what was his response? He said that it is the sick that know they need the doctor, not the healthy. This is a lesson I think we as the church need to do better with him. And it really heartens me to see the topic that you guys were looking at so much out in the uh, foyer earlier. We need to get better at genuinely welcoming back people that have sinned and have repented to God, treating them with love and compassion. Currently, a lot of our own sins are not public, but the day will come when everything will be made known. So just because somebody sins public now, your sins are going to be known soon. Treat them as you want people to treat you when your sin is known. In fact, better than that, let us treat people who have repented of their sins in the same way that Jesus treats us, with genuine love and compassion. Okay, so this is a, an excerpt from the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Uh, it's an excellent theological treatise. If you haven't read it, I recommend it. So, the Christian idea of marriage is based on Christ's words, that a man and wife are to be regarded as a single organism. For that is what the words one flesh would be in modern English. And the Christians believed that when he said this, he was not expressing a sentiment, but stating a fact. Just as one is stating a fact when one says that a lock and its key are one mechanism, or that a violin and a bow are one musical instrument. The inventor of the human machine was telling us that its two halves, the male and the female, were made to be combined together in pairs not simply on a sexual level, but totally combined. The monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside of marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, the sexual, from all the other kinds of union which was intended to go along with it and make up the total union. The Christian attitude does not mean that there is anything wrong about sexual pleasure any more than about the pleasure of eating. It means that you must not isolate that pleasure and try to get it by itself any more than you ought to try to get the pleasures of taste without swallowing and digesting by chewing things and spitting them out again.